Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Deanna and Ben. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves. So my name is Deanna Graves. I have my own marketing consulting agency. It's DG Marketing Services, and we do both the mix of revenue marketing and revenue operations. And I'll go ahead and introduce Ben, who is one of our customers. Hi, my name is Ben. I am the Senior Director of Marketing for a company called Rescale, and I've been in the demand generation field marketing marketing space for quite a few years now. Worked in, uh, started off, as you can probably tell from my accent, in England, in the UK, and then spent some time in Australia and APAC. And then finally, I'm currently in the US helping companies improve their high-performance computing. Wonderful. So let's jump right into it and talk about why people aren't happy and how they can make small changes. <laughs> I know, big topic, big topic, but let's let's start small. So I think all of us have been on the precipice of we either choose burnout or find ways to adapt. And let's let's talk about some things that may trigger burnout for ourselves or our team and some small adaptations we can make to make the job a little bit more sustainable. Big question. Yeah, I love the question though. So this is like one of my favorite things to talk about because I just know working in marketing operations and demand gen that burnout can be something that we all experience at one point in our lives. But I had like a pivotal moment in my career where I was just, I felt so stuck. I felt so stuck and I wasn't sure why. And I was starting to have, I'm the type of person who doesn't like to quit anything easily. I have such a high threshold for um, quitting things, which can be, as you know, a blessing and a curse because you will not give up on something easily, but then also you probably should give up on some things easily. (laughs) You need to be able to make those decisions and kind of move through life with a little bit more agility. And so I, I had a pivotal moment where I realized, you know, I feel stuck. I'm, I keep getting to this point of burnout and I've seen it in multiple roles, multiple like projects, um, multiple different businesses that I was working for. And I was like, I really want this to stop. How do I actually get this to stop? So for me, one of the things that I felt like really was just the most beneficial to this like pivotal moment that I had was taking a step back and thinking strategically about what makes me happy at work. Like, what do I actually, if I can design my life, how do I want to design it? What does that actually look like? And what is the day-to-day? And like for me, working in tech is actually a really great fit because I don't like monotony and I like to constantly be on my feet and changing things. But I also have a part of my personality where I can be a bit of a people pleaser and I like to impact people's... I like to empower people and I like to help. So it can be a recipe, constant change. (laughs) You like to help people. It can be a recipe for burnout. So you have to really kind of take a step back and say, what do I like about my job? For me, it was having autonomy. I want to be able to impact people, but I want to be able to make those decisions myself. And I want to learn from others, but I don't want to get to a point where I feel like I'm taking orders and fitting into this like a cog in a wheel that I have no control over. So for me, kind of writing down like what I'm intentionally doing, like how am I, the way I think about it is like, how am I anchored in who I am and what I want as it relates to my work life? And I think taking that step back kind of put together like the 
core values that I really want to be moving towards. And it helped me realize that I can kind of get that way through my day-to-day. I mean, working in tech is great, but you have to also learn how to set boundaries. You also have to learn how to manage your time well, make sure that you don't have a constant influx of meetings all day. You also have to make sure, you know, you're careful about being too responsive, being too available, whether it's on, you know, email, on Slack, on all of these different channels that we have. So for me, that's kind of what I like to, I really like the subject because that changed so much in just how I think about my work and my life and like really got me to a point where I was starting to actually design it and thinking about it and thinking about what I want and then actually looking at what am I doing? Is this even aligned to what I want? A very similar story. And I think it first of all shows my sort of English cynicism. So when I first joined LinkedIn and as the the marketing lead for Australia, the, we kept doing these values. You know, what are your what are your internal values? And I sort of would pay lip service to it and go through the process. And you know, but eventually, I think after the third year of going through these values and talking to people, I suddenly started to realize actually these are really important in order to understand what makes me happy and what I should be doing and you know how I should make decisions about the future of my my career. So understanding that those internal values and what is important to you is so critical. Um, and I found it's been so much easier to make decisions around my own future career once I understand what drives me and what are the things that, you know, you should, you know, fire yourself from. I think stuck and lack of autonomy are the two words I hear most often when I'm talking to people who are burned out. And it's interesting that humans are the worst narr- narrators of their own existence. You know, we... <laughs> We're not very good at picking up on what's bothering us and what we need to change. So, Ben, I think it's really interesting and normal that it took you a while to buy into the process before embracing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's a, it's a typically English thing, I think, is that, you know, sift up a lip. We don't need any help. And then it's fine. And you just work through things. But, yeah, it was a bit of a realization for me. And it helped me do lots of things, not just you know, the role I want and what I need to be doing, but also the companies I want to work for. It's a bit of a, a moment, you know, I had this moment where I thought, do I want to just be helping? Effectively, I just felt a little bit burned out when I was just helping marketers market better or salespeople sell better. There was something inside of me I really needed, wanted to work with a product that I had a kind of a real world impact, um, real world impact on improving the lives. That's when I started thinking about what are the companies that fit that, you know, and we're talking, you know, technological advancement, we're talking about clean tech, green tech, things where I felt that this is going to have an impact on the world. And that's how I started to structure my future career was, was around that and around those values and that realization. Great. Okay, let's also touch on, we mentioned people pleasing and something I see a lot, particularly in marketing operations is a sense of loyalty. And I think we all feel it, especially those of us who are newer to our careers and first getting hired and really excited that somebody took a chance on us. How do we balance that with what's best for our career? Probably goes back to values, but I'll let you guys tackle it. (laughs) Yeah, I love that because... I mean, like I said, I I love to jump in. I love to help. I like to work with people in a strategic way, but I also think there's a lot of value in rolling up your sleeves and actually executing on things. And so if you enjoy execution, you can kind of get funneled into these types of roles where you end up being um, kind of like 
again, order takers or working in a ticket system where like all of a sudden you don't have the autonomy and you're just, you don't feel like aligned to your values in that way. And I think people pleasing, one of the things that I've noticed with that is I think just taking more time for me, it's been really helpful to take a second and think about the way that I will respond to someone who's needing help for something. If I see that they need help first, just listening to them talk about what they need and understanding what they actually need help with. And then at that point, thinking through, does it make sense that I'm the person to help them with this? Is it something where I'm working with this person and I'm showing them how to self-serve and teach themselves, um, you know, how to build something on their own. Um, And I think the way that I typically find myself jumping into a moment of people pleasing is I have this like urge to go do something and I can sense it right away. And instead of jumping into that and, you know, fulfilling the urge of like, let me help you with that. Let me build this report. Let me do this. It's taking a moment and just like sitting there with it and just sitting with your thought of, you know, I really want to jump in and help here. Why? Why do I want to do that? Like, is this person capable of doing it themselves? Do they want someone to kind of guide them and show them? Or are they actually looking for, you know, a bigger project? And is this part of a bigger project, which is also a really good question to ask, because I think a lot of times um, we kind of get pulled into these like one-off tasks instead of being able to like take a step back and look at, you know, what is that actually impacting and is it worth my time? So for me, I've been learning a lot more about like how to apply just a little bit more patience and taking a step back and just being a little bit more intentional about what's happening when you have that urge to jump in and, you know, jump in and help someone with something as it relates to ops? Is there a better way to do it? Is it something that that person should know themselves? And can you maybe show them how to do it? I can't talk from an actual being a marketing operations person, but I can talk about someone who has marketing operations reporting up into them. And the the best marketing operations people I've ever worked with very much want to jump on every single task and, and, you know, please and have that loyalty. And so it's something I have to think about very actively around ensuring that they feel empowered to be able to speak up and want to cast more questions around the projects. And that really then comes down to ensuring they know that the bigger what the bigger goals are so they can start effectively prioritizing their time on the actions that are going to have the biggest impact. Because if they are kept out of the loop in terms of what are our big major business goals and then what are the initiatives we're doing around achieving that, there's no way they can ever make those decisions because they don't know what is going to have the greatest impact. So something that I find is really important, especially with operations people, operations leaders, is to ensure they understand how the initiatives are connected to the business goals, and then that that empowers them to be able to make those decisions. That's a great point, and I think something that's missed quite a bit. There's also an aspect I'm hearing in our conversation of self-awareness and being able to communicate effectively. So when it comes down to prioritizing, you want to retain your network. You want to retain relationships with people and businesses. This world's small. We're all going to work with somebody down the road, most likely. And the best way to maintain those relationships is to have the ability to explain why something's not a priority. So Ben, have you worked with your team on coaching them how to explain, not just, no, I can't do this right now, but here are the initiatives and here's why I'm not doing this right now. I'm lucky to have had some great senior MOPS people. So, but definitely there's always coaching opportunity 
And it comes down to, I always talk about it as in communicating to be heard and communicating to be understood. Everyone can communicate to be heard. That is, I have this information, I'm going to present it to you. And that's great for making you feel good that you're getting this information across. But in terms of communicating to be understood, it's about switching the perspective and understanding what does this person need? Usually they're asking for a task to be done because they have a goal they need to achieve. And so if you can understand that goal, you can then make sure that you're communicating and framing the response in a way that is you know, directly related to what their ultimate outcome is. And that might be doing something completely different that's going to achieve this in a different way, but still achieve that final goal. So the the one thing I always regularly talk with uh, with my team is about you know thinking about this communicating to be understood and that means putting yourself in this other person's shoes and that's going to help you ultimately get what you want you know call it managing up calling it communication skills but it's ultimately putting yourself in in their shoes and the information they're going to want to hear. And there's so many applications for that. In a prior episode, we talked about how everyone is in sales, even people in marketing operations, and how understanding the psychology and the motivation of the person you're negotiating with to get your priorities set and get back some of that autonomy and have some influence into how budget is allocated and what kind of projects are addressed first really comes down to exactly what you said, which is speaking to be heard versus speaking to be understood, right? Yeah. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. Caliber Mind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with Caliber Mind at calibermind.com. So you've both mentioned the idea of stretching instead of chasing. I would love to hear more about that. What does it mean? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I love this concept. It's not my own. I read a book called Stretch and it's, it's more just this psychological concept of doing more with less and stretching your resources instead of chasing resources. And I found that that was something that is just so applicable to leadership um, and the types of leaders that I've seen and finding that balance, especially when it comes to knowing when you need to advocate for yourself and you need to advocate for more resources, but at the same time, looking at what you have and making sure you're getting the most of it. And that's something that I think like if you are very grounded in your operations, you are getting the most of what you have. And a lot of times what we see, especially in tech, are leaders that see you know, a brand new shiny toy, brand new shiny ABM technology, whatever it is, they buy it. And then unfortunately, it's not working because no one knows how it works. It's not implemented correctly. And so you're missing out. Of course, you're losing money, but you're also just missing out on getting success out of what you have and using your current resources. And I think that that's just, it's such a beautiful way to kind of describe these kind of two types of leaders that I've seen so many of and the types of cultures that come from them. So 
often I'll see leaders who are chasing resources. They come into a company and they're there for a year max, maybe a year and a half. Their entire like playbook is to come in, say that they don't have the resources, advocate for more, get the resources, never properly take advantage of them and say, you know, and then fail at it. And usually there's a lot of blaming of the failure on not having additional resources. And so it's just like this constant game of chasing and then joining another company and putting everyone under them into this like crazy, toxic, cyclical culture that is just not ideal. And on the other side, you have this type of leader who stretches their resources and they come in and they're very strategic, but they also know how to take that strategy and actually orchestrate it through technology, through people, through process. And they aren't so high above getting their hands dirty. Like they actually come in and look at all of those things and they focus on the systems and processes that get them to the goals instead of constantly focusing on the goals and blaming the lack of achievement there on not having additional resources. So I found those two kind of archetypes to be so relevant to B2B tech. I am having flashbacks to all the times we've had a change in leadership and then we need a new website, uh, which sometimes is extremely valid because the messaging isn't clear, the navigation is messed up, like all of those reasons. But sometimes it makes sense to slow down a little bit, realize what issues your company is facing and then focus there first. I think resources, is it's a, a very interesting subject because you can always have more resources the the way that i've always tried to approach you know resource allocation process technology people structure you know operating model has always been to focus on on the goals first and then you work backwards and you have to have a quite a systems way of, of of thought around this you know, thinking in systems so ultimately you know you have a number how does that break down in terms of enterprise versus non-enterprise how does that break down per ae per bdr what are the what's the usual sales cycle what are the touches that have to go normally what is the how does the buyer like to be approached and the buy and you try and map all this out and then build the tech stack the processes the people everything around you know reflecting that and ultimately that often works really well you know if you've got all your numbers right and you know but importantly around that is also making sure that you celebrate those wins because when you do have stretch resources everyone is normally running you know at absolutely full capacity or slightly over it mm-hmm. and so ensuring people feel like they're part of something that comes down to sharing you know the successes they're making the impact on the business again no one likes to feel just like a cog in a wheel you know you are having an impact on the business no matter what role whether you're an associate marketing manager or coordinator through to the head of ops everyone is having an impact on this and making sure that you can pull that out and communicate that to the team especially and obviously up into the rest of the business is, is really important. And when you do look at new technology, you've got a really robust plan around why you need this and how this is going to impact. And, and potentially, you know, there are lots of so many tools out there. I just looked at one tool the other day. It's great. It's fantastic. It'll solve a goal uh, that we want. But ultimately, if I have a finite amount of resources, is that going to be the thing that's going to help me achieve my number? No, I can probably do that another way. So I'm going to be looking at, at building processes especially processes around rather than building a new tech stack, which then normally comes with a ton of other responsibilities for the ops person, especially because these are the guys that have to deal with all the integrations and make sure it's all working and are the first person to get the call when 
we're not getting the data through that we wanted to. So trying to think strategically, think in systems, how it all interacts and always focus on the end goal. It's always interested me that marketing is really all about communication, but we're kind of terrible about communicating successes across the company in particular. I see a lot of ABM efforts fail before they start because they don't agree on what the target accounts are. And then once they have these successes, they don't communicate them out and get buy-in across the team. And I'm just thinking of how much more synergy we could get if we communicated wins And I like your point of giving credit to the person who's instrumental in doing that as building a bit more camaraderie. And then the other thing that I thought was really wise that you said is you're focusing on systems and being able to get numbers. Yeah, it's interesting. I also think when it comes to like celebrating your actual successes, I mean, these are things that we can do so easily and just drive better collaboration with the people that you're working with. I will say I have met with so many new startups that have technology that is supposed to help build better culture for people who have some sort of role that is very hard to measure. So as much as we're hearing this bad advice, I'm also seeing a trend where we're actually seeing a lot of new startups form because there's a need in the market right now to be able to drive better culture, happier culture, because we don't need to just gauge uh, success in the performance of our role based on something we can measure. If there's obviously so much more. So how do we get those wins across and how do we celebrate those small successes? It's something that I, I can see a lot of people trying to figure out. And I love, I love that they're using technology to do it. And I'm curious to see how that's going to form over time. Yes. The resignation revolution is driving quite a bit of innovation and I think it's great. <laughs> couple of the things that I was like, I really would love to leave the audience with would be like some super tangible, actionable things that can get you to be more strategic in your role and to get you out of a place where you feel stuck or you feel like you're not aligned to your values or you're not, you're just generally not happy. And for me, there were some things that with my ops brain, I, I did that were like, they're clearly um, from someone with like that type of background, but I found it to be so helpful. One of them was just really helpful in setting boundaries. And especially when it comes to people putting meetings on my calendar, I found that to be so challenging. So what I've done in the past is I would go through an exercise where I would actually look at every meeting. And at the end of it, I would reflect and say, did was this worth 30 minutes of my time? Did we get something good out of this? Was it worth the 30 minutes or was it worth the hour? Did we need the full hour? And I would start actually looking at like who is setting up meetings where we're not getting that result at the end and then declining them and then telling them, let's handle this over an email or we can talk in a different format because we don't need necessarily need an hour sync up for this type of topic. So honing in and like actually tallying how many meetings you have like that a week and then making sure that you're properly managing your time so that that doesn't happen. I thought that was something that I really benefited from. Ben, do you have anything you would add for like time management or boundary setting? Yeah, on that, that's, it reminded me actually, we used to do this thing, the colors. Have you ever done the colors thing where you're, you're red, blue, yellow, green, and they all mean different things. And it's just, you do a, a survey and it gives you the color. I think I was red, blue, green as my as above the line, which means I'm more data driven, more directional, and um, but then think about the team. 
my fun numbers at others was low, which I was disappointed with. But it was all about <laughs> it was all it's all about how you communicate. Because if you are directional, that's how you communicate, and that's how you like to be given information. And whether I believe in it 100 percent is up for question. But what I what I did take from that was, and something that's worked well for me was to with new hires and when someone comes on the team or it's someone else outside of the team, I normally give them like a brief overview of how to communicate to me, what sorts of information that I need. So it's quite structured, you know, down to actually what sort of when should you reach out to me? Slack, when's email, when's a phone call, you know, and, and just detail it out like that. And so then that saves a lot of back and, and fro because they know straight off. I like data. I like to be given the information and I like a recommendation. I don't like, you know, brainstorming quite often, especially virtually. <laughs> I normally want a recommendation and we can talk through it. And then also how that's going to be presented. So if it's complicated information, it needs to be on email. I don't like long Slack messages with attachments. That's not how I work. So being upfront around, around how to communicate and, and the style and uh, the channel, in fact, in terms of, of the context of the communication is, has been, I found, saved me a lot of time and effort. Yeah, and I would just pile on working with your manager to have some kind of growth path, see if they'll invest in your education, get a timeline for additional resources if that's what you need, but really advocate for yourself, speak up, and like you guys said, celebrate the wins and make them public. Yeah, the growth plan is something really important. And I think something you as to your manager need to put a lot of work in, but also need to put make sure the manager does the work they need to as well. We hear a lot, and I do believe in that you need to own your own pro- professional development and your own progression. And you need to own your one-on-ones. You need to know what you want to achieve. But it's up to your manager then, who's obviously gone through that professional development before, to map out clearly that plan with milestones and and you know give you the roadmap of how to get there. Sometimes I feel one of those, or often one of those is, is lacking. Either you're not owning your own progression or the manager's not really putting the time in to sort of map out where the gaps are and how we can get to that, you know, and, and develop you to that level. So it's ultimately, it's your own career. You need to take ownership of it. And if you don't see your manager doing that work, you want to try and emphasize how important it is to them, but also then work with external mentors. Oh, I was just going to say that. Great advice. Uh, yeah. Something that I always talk to all my team about is always have an external mentor that you can talk to and get ideas from and share things. And it's just such a, I've seen it with everyone who's done it. They've really come on leaps and bounds. And I've always been really impressed with the impact on on their role and how they've communicated. Yeah. So external mentors, definitely, I would highly recommend. Yeah. I mean, like we, I mentioned earlier, we're our own worst narrators. Having that external resource is just a neutral third party is, is so beneficial. That's, that's really good advice. Yeah. And I will say like that is every time I've looked for someone who has done something similar to what I'm trying to do, I end up making a friend, a connection. And it's usually a stranger that I'll reach out to on LinkedIn, just asking about what they're doing and trying to connect. And sometimes it's just so helpful to talk to someone who's been there before. Oh, I think it's so great that people are so generous with their time. If somebody seems hungry and, and wants to learn, that's, that's awesome. Ben, Deanna, thank you. Where can people find you online to, to network? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's great. You can find me on LinkedIn. Pretty easy name to find, Benny Twell. So I don't think there's many of us about. <laughs> great, wonderful. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, visit calibermind.com. 